I'll have a triple martini with two slices of raw bacon. Use the lunatic fringe vodka. They keep a bottle behind the bar for me. And bring my friend Piper here and Irish car bomb. What's that? Never mind. Just drink it. Now, Piper, how long have you been an intern with us? It's Skylar. My parents picked the name because... Skylar, Piper, Scooby-Doo, it doesn't matter. It reminds me of an old Italian proverb. The pig says to the lamb, Happy Easter. And the lamb says, Bah, fangul, which means you can go... What does that story say to you, Piper? You don't want to be the lamb at Easter? Exactamundo. Don't be the lamb. That's how you survive in public radio. Find out what they're eating that day and be something else. Be the thing that eats the other thing. You know, bang on your chest. Be the hunter, not the prey. Come on, do it with me. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, people are watching us now. Just do it, Piper. Get in my car. Drive to NPR. Don't want to be the lamb unless they're eating ham. That's the way it goes. Time to do the nose. And did I say you could stop? Sorry. He's watched Frozen more times than any 13-year-old girl in Connecticut, Colin McEnroe. (laughs) That might be true. Uh, They've asked me to leave a few times. If you haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street, that intro will make absolutely no sense to you whatsoever. Uh, Or the viral video version of that, but that was Matthew McConaughey and... Uh, Leo DiCaprio. And, and probably, I mean, whether you like the film or not, one of the more memorable sequences. One of the few sequences, I think, from movies this year that's already kind of made its way outside the movie into and become a thing, as we say. A meme, a trope. All right, let me tell you about the show. Uh, it's our pre-Oscar show. With us is um, our movie maven, Vivian Nabetta, who's always with us for our pre-Oscar show. Doobie McDowell, I think, making uh, one of her uh, earlier uh, first appearances on our pre-Oscar show because... Uh, and Doobie McDowell, by the way, by the way, one of the leaders of McDowell Jewett Communications, uh, because she has made the effort to see all nine Best Picture nominees. And then the man who actually understands the business from Trinity Cine Studio, James Hanley, is here with us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you as we go along, too. If you, is there like a particular moment that you watch the Oscars for or relationship that you have with the Academy Awards? It's an all-Academy Awards show today. So give us a call, 860-275-7266. You can talk to the now famous... Uh, Skylar Magnoli. She will not bang on her chest while you're talking. 860-275-7266. And you may tweet us at WNPRCollin. All right. That's all the intro we need. There's something that you wanted well, to say? The, the listeners don't have the advantage of, of seeing you. So, yeah. I, But I do want to ask a question. Who you're wearing? I am actually dressed. I, I, just, I learned the word this week for how I dress. It was, in, it was in New York Magazine or New York Magazine's website. There was a um, description of something called Normcore. N-O-R-M, Normcar, N-O-R-M-C-O-R-E, Normcore. Look it up. It's basically you dress like you're a tourist somewhere, like, you know, you don't know how to dress, basically. And that's how I dress. And I thought today, because Vivian Nabetta is here, and she is by far the most fashionable person who ever appears on the nose. Wow, maybe, thank that, you. That maybe I would make a little effort, and then I just thought, screw it. So <laughs> I'm wearing a hoodie and, like, the shirt I wear every day and some jeans. We uh, were trying to give the listeners a different illusion, yeah, but that, that's okay. No, I just I got to be honest. But I, also, I'm so excited that there's a word for how I dress. <laughs> uh, Normcore. I just thought I just dress bad, you know, but now I, have, I can describe it somehow. So, you know, we're looking through the ballot here, and we're not going to go you know, piece by piece through the ballot. I think that w- would be a, a little bit tiring. Uh, but, but I'm going to give each one of you sort of an opportunity just to talk about something that you did love, something that you – or, you know, one either performance or category or something where you kind of got a dog in the fight somehow. You really just do sort of care uh, how it comes out. So, James, I'll, I'll let you go first. 
Well, I, one of the things I'm struck by actually in having uh, going through the list of like certainly Best Picture nominees is that there are so many interesting films uh, this year for different reasons. Um, I, it, some in sort of cin- cin- cinematic ways, but there's also to me something that is really significant in that 12 Years a Slave uh, is, is uh, to me the most significant film because it is a difficult film to watch. It's te- dealing with a difficult subject, but it's made expertly by a brilliant director, I think. And it's something really remarkable. It's that sort of uncomfortable place that Hollywood finds itself sometimes that, um, you know, there's a feeling about it that, okay, this is addressing a serious social issue. But it's surrounded also by these films that are um, actually also serious, but not serious. And I'm thinking of things like The Wolf of Wall Street and American Hustle, which are I th- I think are entertaining, but I'm not sure that really engage the horrible nature of what's going on or what has gone on in the case of American Hustle. Um, and uh, I compare that sort of thing that you can go to that you can go to those movies and see brilliant performances, great directing, and I think uh, particularly in case of Wolf of Wall Street, you know Martin Scorsese is at the top of his form with the characters and with what he's saying there, but. I come back to the seriousness of 12 Years a Slave and feeling that it was really remarkable to sit with an audience and watch that film mm-hmm. and actually feel that people were engaging with it from a point of view of you know, actually, actually seeing what was going on and recognizing who the characters were in the movie. And by that, I mean making you watch things that realize that what went wrong, what went, what went, went on with slavery was a crime and that these were, this was criminal behavior that was happening against other human beings. And I think that is so significant. That would be the top of the line for me. You know, I, I, the other thing I, I've, I'm, I'm sort of absorbing more now is the, the director, the somewhat confusingly named Steve McQueen, uh, the director is is also a painter. I mean, I think he's yes. a painter oh, artist first. Yes, yeah, yes. and and you know, I mean, this movie uh, there that that can go wrong, and I think it it did go wrong a little bit when when Spielberg adapted The Color of Purple, where I, there were these kind of painterly scenes that yes. didn't really sort of square very well with the content. This time, the way that beauty rams up against ugliness yes, exactly. uh, is really, really uh, incredibly impressive to me. Yes, and I think that in terms of structure and sort of the skill of the director is in things that, you know, when you're, when you're looking at some of the characters, the shots hold on longer than you expect and keep going and keep the audience engaged in a way that is highly it's uncomfortable obviously but it is it has a visceral reality to it that is really extraordinary that i think uh, as you point out you know that that painter background that sense of the visual that steve mcqueen has that he really manages to take on the characters in a different way and it's such a contrast to the way actually that american hustle and uh, and wolf of wall street are more allied to the short attention span quick moving rapid mm-hmm. rapid exposition of plot that this is actually sitting still and there's one shot of chiwetelejo for at one point uh, uh, that he is just looking and turning slowly, almost looking at the audience, and it's an impossibly long shot. And it's things like that that are so new and different to me. All right. Doobie? Well, I was going to agree with the shot of um, of him hanging when he is almost yes, dead. Absolutely. That was such a long shot, and 
just you know unforgettable. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you, James. Of course, I'm going to agree with everything James says because he's James, <laughs> and he knows so I much more. That. It's usually the way to go. I exactly. Um, I'd be so sad if Twelve Years a Slave did not win. Um, for all the reasons you mentioned, I suppose gravity could win if it's true that many of the Academy voters tend to be people who are more focused on uh, the technical aspects yeah. of the, movie the, the making. The term for this this year is below the line. That's what that's called. Right. You right. Have to be, if you're below the line, you work on part of the technical end. Maybe gravity is a bigger right. movie. And I can see why you know that might be the case if that's if that's who makes up the majority mm-hmm. of the voters. I thought I just wanted to talk about a couple omissions. I thought when you look at the best picture list, I I was so surprised Inside Lewin Davis wasn't nominated. I would have swapped out Captain Phillips for Inside Lewin Davis any time. Yeah, I think I would Um, agree with that, yes. And um, I think my my other omission is I thought – and Colin knows that I loved the movie Her – and I thought Joaquin Phoenix should have been um, nominated for best actor. Yeah. And explain why you love the movie Her. I mean, for example, if 12 Years a Slave didn't get the Academy Award, you'd be happy if her got it, right? Yes, it's I not going to happen. So. It's not going right. to happen, so I'll, I'll <laughs> say I'd be happy. I, th- I've never had a you – know, no other movie this year stayed with me the way her did. And I don't know if it's, it's, if it's partly because we're all so aware how rapidly um, life is changing um, due to due – to, uh, everything happening technologically. Mm-hmm. But it was that. It was the love story. It was debating whether or not could you really fall in love with your operating system. Of course you say, absolutely not. You watch this movie. I was in love with Scarlett Johansson. I wanted to marry my that operating system. Um, and I just thought the soundtrack was fantastic. That's another topic we can get into later, which is music. But And I thought Joaquin Phoenix was was tremendous. All right. Uh, by the way, if you want to join our conversation, don't be shy. 860-275-7266. I'm especially interested if there's sort of a thing that you watch the Academy Awards for, something that you look forward to every year or something that you're looking forward to this year. Or if you want to just tell us which one of your little cherished darlings you're watching for this year, uh, 860-275-7266. Don't be shy. So, Vivian Nevetta, what's on your uh, agenda this year? Um, I really, really liked, and it's not a Best Picture nomination, but um, – I kind of was a little late, but I watched it this morning. Um, I watched uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal. I sat there, and I just I couldn't look away. I couldn't look away. I thought it was um, – I hope it doesn't sound cheesy, but I thought it was really overdue because you don't pay – you know background singers are there. You know that they serve a purpose. You know that they're important, and they're kind of integral to an album. But for somebody to really kind of put a lot of faces – to some of those songs that you hear. Um, I just thought it was great. I mean, Darlene Love, I'm kind of obsessed with her now. <laughs> um, so I, I that would be, I know, again, not a best picture, but I think that um, the quality but of the storytelling. It it's nominated for best documentary. And, and yeah. I think there's, I mean, it, it, and maybe we can even talk about the best documentary category in just a second because not that we've all seen that many of the movies, although James has one of the other sort of, um, highly regarded contenders coming in pretty soon, but uh, to Trinity Cine Studio. But um, first of all, we should say uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, as has been suggested here, is a documentary about the lives of backup singers, some of the really famous backup singers, mm-hmm. uh, the woman that you hear singing with Mick Jagger in Gimme Shelter, um, the, and, and Darlene Love. And, and you see them 
sometimes in in the rest of their lives. So you you become aware of the fact that Darlene Love, who you know is this kind of iconic backup singer, was cleaning houses at one point. Uh, the woman Claudia is her name. I can't think of her last name. The woman who sang with Jagger. We see her teaching Spanish. I yes, think, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> towards the end of the thing, I, I will now make you very envious and say that I saw it. Uh, at Great Barrington at the film festival up there in, in late May. And at the end of the film, Darlene Love did come out on stage. Uh, and with a little tape track, she sang Lean On Me to us and like, went to the parties and, with us and stuff like that. So that was... We I, I read that, we and to, we I'm very breathe, jealous. Breathe, breathe the same air as Darlene Love. That was great. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, James, in a way, in the documentary category, there's sort of a problem here because, I mean, in the, in the documentary car- category, you do have... And I suppose you could say the same thing plays out in Best Picture, but it seems to me it plays out more starkly. You have a movie like this, which is a pure act of enjoyment. And, yeah, it also looks at certain kinds of unfairnesses and odd ways that life kind of turns out and things like that. I mean, it's not a completely unserious movie. But then (laughs) all the other movies or most of the other documentaries are about these gigantic world problems. You feel a little frivolous loving the thing that you love so much, right? It's almost like Hollywood has a sort of special – special sort of place for these things that there's a social conscience but um, these films don't get seen widely enough for lots of reasons. One of the fascinating things to me about um, uh, about uh, the, the, the backup doing something with the backup singers was that that almost sort of trips over into an entertainment realm obviously but one of the fascinating things to me is that that film uniquely amongst the documentaries plays really well in the dark in a theater and seeing it and hearing the music and hearing the soundtrack on that is really well done, uh, including sort of figuring out what the actual job of the backup singers is in terms of how they're singing and what they're singing and actually explaining themselves. It was a very visceral sort of direct connection and Darlene Love is an incredible spokesperson for that. I mean, she's so self-aware and she's able to express herself. And so you create sort of like, like an entertainment aura around what is a very good expose of something that you always wondered about. Mm-hmm. Um, documentaries uh, as a group, though, are – I always find them fascinating. The best of them are really good. I mean the one we're showing, The Act of Killing, coming up is fascinating. Uh, it, it, but it's very difficult sometimes to get those documentaries in front of an audience. First of all, the word documentary – is not always something people think of that as a TV thing. They think of it as something maybe they'll watch on uh, VOD or you know they watch it on their TVs or their computers. They won't necessarily see it in a theater. But if some of those documentaries can get seen in a theater, it, I think it's very good because it's a shared experience in a way that is not when you watch it on you know like on your cell phone or on the on the computer. And and Hollywood doesn't really. Um, it, it seems to me that documentary is just a, also ran in terms of the Hollywood occasion of the Oscars kind of thing. Um, there are a few other connections too. I mean, I feel somewhat that way with Best Foreign Film, you know, how that's selected and so on. Um, but um, I think that uh, if you – there are some documentaries out there that can really break through, but they have to be treated right. You have to get them in front of the audience and that's the tough thing I can tell you. I, you know, it's a great point that you make about watching them with other people and there is – 
Uh, I mean, watching tw uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, I keep wanting, uh, getting 12 Years a Slave and 20 Feet from Stardom <laughs> mixed up in my mind. But watching 20 Feet from Stardom um, with a large audience, and there was gradually this kind of emotion building up in the room. Exactly. Mm, um, I can imagine. I, I, I watched one, I, I can't recall the name of it anymore, but it was a, a documentary about, I think her name is Deborah Peeker, a woman who was uh, j placed in jail for killing an incredibly abusive uh, spouse um, and and about like everything that went wrong for her. I watched that about three or four years ago up at uh, in Great Barrington also. With it's a film festival audience, so they're a little bit more charged up. And but it was amazing. People were noisily weeping for the like the last twenty yeah. minutes. Yeah. I mean, people are just sobbing around you. I mean, it really does kind of yeah. make a difference. And I think documentaries can really do that. Um, I want to just sort of just look at one category because it is kind of interesting. There's a lot of um, interesting nominees there, and it's a kind of a way in to talk about maybe what one of my little darlings is this year. And that's uh, Best Actor Doobie. You were saying that uh, you, you wish Joaquin Phoenix were up in that category. Instead, it's Kristen Bale from American Hustle, Bruce Dern from Nebraska, Leo DiCaprio from The Wolf of Wall Street, Chiwetel uh, Ejiofor from 12 Years a Slave, and Matthew McConaughey from Dallas Buyers Club. And I know that you've <laughs> seen all those movies. I saw some of them with you. Um, <laughs> As we went down the home stretch, Doobie and I and our significant others slash spouses uh, started seeing some of the last rounding up our last you know six or seven right. of the. Um, so anyway, um, so you can't have Joaquin. Do you, do you have a preference in that category? I mean, I I think you have to give most improved player to Matthew McConaughey at the very least if he's not going to get the Oscar. Um, I'm not sure about you guys, but I had never even paid attention to him until about two years ago. I just, in my mind... Except negatively. Really, yes, I had... Right, I just had him in my mind as sort of a well, pre pretty boy. Confused. Oh, that's true. Always thinking Us Weekly, yeah. him always on the beach. Yes, like, exactly. No yeah, you yeah. know, right. sexiest right. man alive, da-da-da-da. But this, you know, this past year between um, uh, Dallas Buyers Club and, and Wolf of Wall Street, I mean, it's been fantastic to watch. And going last mm -hmm. back last year into Mud and mm -hmm. yeah, Bernie and yeah. a, a whole bunch of other... Uh, performances last yeah. year, so so maybe you're so I, that, I yeah. think I, I I would he he'd be a favorite of mine, but I also thought Chiwetel Ejiofor, Twelve Years a Slave, was was fantastic as well. Yeah, Vivian, do you have a favorite in that category? I really I think that if I were to guess who was going to win, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's going to be Matthew McConaughey. I'm going to agree with you um, because he has this. And I refuse to say that word. The that reconnaissance? Was, oh, God. <laughs> no, I'm not we saying that word. We are living in the reconnaissance. I, I, I can't. I can't go there. I, I'm having shivers thinking about saying it. But I really think he does have the best chance of, of winning. I mean, he did. He, he gave a really great performance. Um, on a side note, I was watching the I was watching the movie, and the whole time I kept thinking, and I and I don't really eat red meat, but I was like I was like I just want a hamburger. I'm like I just want a hamburger. <laughs> oh my god, everyone was so painfully thin. Obviously, I understand why. I mean, it made sense considering the subject matter, but I think it's his. I really do. I you know after seeing Twelve Years a Slave, I walked out and I said to whoever was standing near me, "Well, that guy's got to win Best Actor." I mean, what led you for? They're just. His rendering of the pain, you know, yeah, you know was so yeah. incredible. I just uh, and and you really do need a great actor in that role to sell the experience. Mm -hmm. yes. As good a director as McQueen is, the actor really has to convey this. Absolutely. And, yeah. and so, I mean, I was just in awe of this guy, and I thought, let's end the conversation right now. And I subsequently saw a bunch of other performances, including the one that you guys are talking about. And and just to bring up my own little one of my own little darlings, to me, the biggest surprise, the biggest disparity.
disparity between my expectations and what I saw was Nebraska, which I kind of mm. dragged my feet about going to. You know, I just sort of thought, oh, Alexander Payne is working in black and white, and it's going to be just this stark, pretentious, uh, annoying thing. And instead, it really was one of my favorite yeah. uh, movies of the year. It's it's beautiful and good and smart uh, and, and uncompromising in certain ways that I'm really admiring of. Mm. And, you know, I don't think Bruce Dern is going to win or anything like that, but that's a heck of a performance. <laughs> it really is. Yes, yeah. I agree. And that's something very special. And it does take so many daring chances, and not least of which the style of it being in black and white and its spareness and also the sort of edginess of its characters, really. And But Bruce Dern, it really is an amazing performance. That's one of the things that's fascinating to me about Best Actor. I agree about Chiwetelegio for that's a, that's a standout performance, absolutely. But... Um, Matthew McConaughey, I, I think, deserves it. But I have to say the whole sort of like like social media surrounding <laughs> of it is making me feel like, you know, yeah, like it's getting on my nerves a little. But I, I understand why. But it, it just I, I don't know. It just doesn't get through to me. But Bruce Dern, I think, my goodness, at his age to be doing a part like that, taking on a part like that and being willing to do it in, like in black and white and be like a really dislikable character at times. Um, that is really I mean, that's what acting is all about. And, and, and um, I don't think he would win in, you know, in the Hollywood universe. He's not going to win. But the fact that it's getting the notice and it is something so special, I think, is an indication of some of the territory we're dealing with here that there are some really interesting performances and great films I more so than usual I wonder if the other thing that may work against McConaughey and it might work against him if, if I were voting on this too is most of the journalism that's kind of followed this movie has suggested that it's not his fault but the way the character is written the character of Ron Woodruff an actual historical person he's written as this guy who's just bitterly homophobic and, and gradually grows and changes and yet what I'm reading pretty persuasively and extensively is that that may not be the case that he may in fact have been a bisexual man who, who had not evinced all these homophobic tendencies ever it's just a better story if he if he undergoes this I, change I think that's actually the center of the movie because I mean that's why why are people homophobes. I mean, why would you bother to be a homophobe unless you had an issue? And uh, that is something that I think the film really addresses. And I think Ron Woodruff is a fascinating character. Definitely. Um, you know, Matthew McConaughey's to me is, is expressing that. And I think that's one of the best parts of that. That's the core of that film, I think. All right, let's grab a little break here. We'd love to hear from you, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. Operators are standing by to take your call. You can also tweet us. People have. I'll read some tweets when we get back. WNPR Colin, that's where to tweet us. Embarrassing melodrama goes to you. So get on up there and give us a speech. All right, so we're back. It's our pre-Oscar show. Um, I'll read a few tweets here. Dave Diamond tweets, I love both 12 Years a Slave and Nebraska. Both were just so real, but in vastly different ways. Stephen Wood tweets, um, honest answer, only with Twitter at hand to read jokes and make jokes about the Oscar telecast. Never paid attention to it before there was Twitter. I think people apply that to a lot of events these days. That's sort of how I feel about the State of the Union address and a whole bunch of other things. I enjoy live tweeting them more than I enjoy watching them. Uh, however, I, as we will be mentioning during our endorsements, I will not be – well, I could probably live tweet the Oscars towards the end, but – we have many of us have places to be this year, as they say. Love to hear from you all at 860 275 7266. 860 
888-275-7266. With us in the studio, Vivian Nevetta, Doobie McDowell, uh, James Hanley. And we're here to do our pre-Oscar show for you. Um, in just a second, I want to talk about sort of one of the moments that uh, always stops me every year, and that is the so-called in-memoriam uh, reel that they do, uh, which I think is especially fraught this year. But uh, some of the panelists wanted to go through a couple of other categories here. Um, and so, Vivian, one thing you were talking about is the best supporting. There's two interesting kind of newcomer performances in these best supporting roles. One of them is Bakhad Abdi. My Somali accent isn't that great, but uh, he's uh, this complete newcomer, former limo driver, who's uh, nominated in Captain Phillips. And a really pretty good performance, too. But in Best Supporting Actress, she's not not a um, newcomer to acting, I don't think, but uh, a new name for most of us. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o, I may be saying that incorrectly, too, for 12 Years a Slave. And I I know you think that's a a special performance. Well, I think that, um, well, I think that overall it's a particularly interesting year for either, um, like, African-British or actual African actors, that Mm -hmm. there's quite a few that are up for awards this year. And as a Ugandan-American, special shout-out, so I'm very happy about that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I think with Lupita, I think with her, I mean, it it felt it was very surprising to me because it felt like not that it came out of nowhere she you know she obviously did go to school shout out to Yale obviously um but that her her few minutes in the film has really had a lot of impact and, uh, and people who kind of follow who maybe have not seen the movie know her because she's become this kind of fashion darling and she's kind of transcended her her film role, and now, you know, she's on the front row with Anna Wintour. I mean, she's become, like, the new it girl for, you know, for the few minutes that she was in the film. So, um, you know, that was certainly very interesting. And again, again, it's a big year for Africans or people of African descent in film. Mm -hmm. So I know that if Lupita wins, which that's what I'm hoping for, I think Kenya's going to just be shut down for days. (laughs) Um, See, this is why it's good to have panelists. I didn't know anything about her becoming a fashion id girl. Sitting in the front row. I've, I've actually covered because you're so busy with your normal. My normal. <laughs> I, I, I have actually in my in my life covered New York runway shows, but it's been a long time. She's uh, also getting uh, getting a lot of notice on the nonstop that's opening this week. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, with Liam Neeson. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, poor Liam Neeson. I mean, obviously, but but. Well, anyway, there's a big interview over the weekend with Liam Neeson where they didn't really ask him any questions about all the really bad movies that he's made over the last few years. But but I understand why. Um, so uh, uh, and so, Doobie, you want to talk also? I just uh, in terms of the best supporting actress, I'd love to see her win. I'd love. To, I, I would too. It would be great. I certainly would too. I, I think the money's kind of on Jennifer Lawrence, Lawrence right now. Yeah. Uh, I my well, you never money. know because she yeah. might. She won best last year. Mm-hmm. She's not quite. I know they're trying to make her a mix between like Sandra Bullock and Meryl Streep in terms of where she's supposed to go. So I think she might get a break this year mm. because you just won. My dark horse favorite, though, for Best Actress supporting role is Sally Hawkins from Blue, Blue Jasmine. Totally. Absolutely. That yeah. was a good I movie. thought she was, she was tremendous. It's a, it's a wonderful that. performance. I think it is a performance probably that has not lodged itself in the memory of Academy voters yeah. the way that it would need to in order to win there. I mean, you, there's a lot of ways that, academy, that category could dart around because – also, once again, going back to Nebraska, the June Squibb performance, which a lot of people – I don't think that's the real anchor performance for that thing. I think a lot of people sell – a lot of performances sell that movie. Um, but um, but I, I, and I don't think that hers is necessarily the one. In fact, I think it's the closest thing to a slightly over-the-top kind of role in the movie. But there are a lot of people who really like it. But you wanted to say something about Best Actress. 
Um, I don't remember what I wanted to say, but I will say that... I, well, say it right into the microphone. I'm going to say that <laughs> a, while I thought Kate Blanchett was great, and I guess everybody's predicting that she's going to win, I uh, my money is on Judy Dench. Mm-hmm. I thought she was fantastic in, in Philomena, and I thought there were times... Who am I to critique Kate Blanchett's performance? I thought there were times that... I'm not sure overacting is the right word, but yeah. I just thought uh, Judy Dench's performance was so pure and true and carried that movie. And I think that's a very interesting uh, contrast there, actually, yes, because I think that the, the truth of that character her, and her ability to convey that character and the nuances of it was really beautiful. I think uh, Kate Blanchett's uh, performance is like it's like an almost acting school perfect performance. Mm. It's beautifully mm. done, but it, to me, uh, it, at the center of that film was actually Sally Hawkins because I thought Sally Hawkins showed a sense of vulnerability, her own self awareness, the fact that she has this sort of intellectual capacity to understand chaos and trouble, yet she keeps on doing it. You know, and, and like she can't escape it kind of thing. And and she just, I don't know, she reads it very well. Mm. I just love that performance. But um, I, you know, one of the things I think that's interesting about Lupita Nyong'o is that that few minutes that she had of real intensity in 12 Years a Slave was just, to me, an incredible virtuoso performance that had a naturalness to it when she's protesting about how she picks more cotton than anybody else, you know, and she's being treated, mistreated, uh, and, and nobody's respecting her for, you know, she, she's she's gotten in trouble for having soap, you know, the one thing that she wants to be is clean. She conveys that with a with an incredible, powerful intensity. I mean, I, I, I that's a performance uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, to do that in such a short period, and you know, just mentioning one other thing about that film, too, there's a few minutes of, of, of um, uh, of the film that uh, are are really um, uh, um, it, it, when uh, what is her name? I, I'm missing her name. She's sitting. Alfred Woodard. Alfred Woodard. Yes, mm. I'm sorry. Alfred Woodard has this few minutes on the porch where she's dressed to the nines. She's you know the favored slave. She's sitting at the table. She knows and she conveys in every move and every word. She has no power, zero, and yet she's sitting there with all these accoutrements of finery because she's agreed to be exploited. And she's there as kind of like this advisor kind of thing. And yet there's the 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 man she's sleeping with standing just below on the uh, on the veranda, which shows you the true power relationship. And Alfred Woodard has this ability to convey with looks, just fractional looks. Uh, and, and she's another person. I just think it's, that's another of those spectacular performances this year in a tiny part. And Alfred Woodard, Fath- oh, sorry, I cut you off. No, I was saying Alfred Woodard is always good. I mean, she's been around for yes, you know, a yeah. very long time. I don't think I've ever seen her, even in stuff that could have been, eh. She's yeah. always great. She's That's always right. great. And the fact that she's willing to do this in a short part, in a tiny part in this film, was really significant, yeah. I think. What are you going to say about Michael Fassbender? Michael Fassbender, I thought, was amazing yeah, in 12 yeah. Years a Slave. And I, I left the theater thinking, boy, if that guy isn't nominated, he should be. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, some of the comments, the comment about Alfred Woodard, too, it, it gets back to a point that I've tried to make in the past, which is I, 
not in the Oscars. There are already too many Oscars. But one of the one of the eighty billion different film award series that they have, there should be a category for sort of sub supporting performances, things that are not even supporting roles, things that are the the great three or four minute performance. Absolutely, like, I agree know, with you. You know, yes. they're just because those yeah. happen all the time. You know, yeah. and they 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 are. I, I actually oh, think in, in Nebraska. You're, I was going to say you're you wrote about the woman in Nebraska. There's Describe a woman, who that is. There's a woman. I, I can't uh, even summon her name to mind right now, but uh, she she plays the uh, the local newspaper editor, and she's the the woman as a young woman back in the high school days. She's the woman who lost Bruce Dern to the woman he wound up marrying. Uh, the Bruce Bruce Dern apparently having been some kind of a prize at that time. Uh, and so, um, and, and, and you know, she's not on the screen very much, but there's something about oh, this incredible. little conversation that she has with Will, Will Forte yeah. who does this magnificent it's job. It's a veracity, and, a, extraordinary clarity that comes through from that. I agree. Yeah. So there's, sometimes are these little tiny performances right. that you just think should be honored. Well, can we go back to Kate Blanchett really quickly? Yeah. There's something that you said about her performance. I think for me, what I what I really liked about Blue Jasmine, I think that when you have a film and someone is kind of becoming unhinged, there is this tendency to overdo it, yeah. and it's like I'm super crazy, and or you know, go, <laughs> you know what I mean, go from yeah. zero right. to yeah. sixty right. in seven seconds. Yeah. And what I really liked about her performance, and not that she ever really does anything wrong because she is Kate Blanchett, was that it it felt like you could understand it. Do you know what I mean? It yes, wasn't yeah. It wasn't over the top. It was yeah. very kind of like, you know, this is happening and then this is happening and it was very subtle and it felt much more real than if she had just kept going and had just completely yeah. exploded. Yeah, I th- and I, that for me is what did it. Yeah, I agree. She's not a histrionic actress. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a, that, that really, uh, I agree, that part of it. I just felt that in the film uh, that, that um, I felt that I knew her character quickly. Kind of thing, whereas to me the the, the you know Sally Hawkins was mm-hmm. this sort of developing character, and that, that's not to deny all of the virtues of Kate Blanchett's performance, which I agree is a great performance. It's just interesting to me that in that film, um, which often happens actually in Woody Allen films, interestingly, there's some character in the background who develops that way. I think That's I'll, true, and she did, and she did do. Mm. I mean, she, you're right; she did do a phenomenal job because you wonder, you know, what she's feeling inside after her sister did yes. all the things that she did, and now right. she's living in your house and she's ruining right. your life. Well, this goes back to the the, the William Goldman theory. Uh, the screenwriter William Goldman has this whole. Theory about which, since I absorbed it, I've applied it to so many different films. That the great performance in Rain Man isn't Dustin Hoffman; it's Tom Cruise. That yeah. the person who has mm. to, as you talk about developing yeah. roles, yeah. the yeah. person yeah, right. who has to sell you this, yes. the person who has to provide the bridge between the audience and whatever odd thing is going up on, on, on the screen, and has to make it a reality. Yeah. That's the hard job. That's the harder job. I mean, you know, Dustin Hoffman could just bring all of his tremendous skills to bear on the mannerisms of Raymond. But Cruz has to make Raymond real for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's true of a lot of these kinds that's of performances. Yeah. Let me grab a call here from Tom in Unionville. I'm going to do this slowly because there we go. Hi, Tom. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Yeah. Oh, well, anyway, I'm like Doobie. I saw all nine films uh, this year. We actually saw them together. It's okay if you, you, if you say that on the air, Tom. Oh, uh, <laughs> that would be great. I didn't see them all together, though. <laughs> well, maybe with you, but not. I didn't see them. I saw them all different times. But I have to agree <laughs> with uh, her and one, the one on her. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the film at all, but that film was the one that stayed with me the most because it was creepy, and I'm one of those 60-somethings trying to adapt to this new world and fast stuff that's going on. And uh, I have kids in the 20-somethings who kind of make fun of me, so it's kind of like, you know, that type of thing. But I, I want to make just two quick comments. Um 
uh, out of all the films, like uh, Wolf of Wall Street, I came out of there feeling like I was high on cocaine. <laughs> Dallas Buyers Club, I agree with whoever said they wanted a hamburger. And, um, <laughs> Captain Phillips, I felt lost in the water. Each one of these films affected me in a different way. But I have to admit, Nebraska in 12 Years, A Slave, those are the last two I saw because I had heard things about them and I needed to be in the right frame of mind to see them and especially 12 Years a Slave, because it was very hard to get through some of the scenes in that, especially the scenes when they were told to clean up before they were sold into slavery, and then the whippings. I, I just, uh, and the performance of the guy, I can't think that was the uh, plantation owner and his wife and how they treated people were just unbelievable to me. So, um, But I love Nebraska, and I love Bruce Stern's performance. I don't know what it was, and I loved it in black and white. Um, it just hit me. Those two films were, you know, the ones I, you know, really liked. Um, I love Matthew McConaughey. I liked him in Mud. Last year was my favorite film. And um, as I do, I write emails to my kids and tell them when I review a film, because I go to films quite a lot. Apparently. You know, they, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I do. I do about 38 a year in the theater. All right, Tom. Wow. Tom that's a lot, Tom. And Tom, thanks you so, thank you so much for your call. Uh, thanks for chiming in about this. I wanted to leave a little time because we're, we're going to be getting into endorsements and stuff like that uh, pretty soon here. But one of the moments that – I don't know whether I look forward to it or not, but it's always a memorable moment uh, it, it is the moment when they kind of stop the Academy Awards and then they kind of just roll this reel of people who, who left us in the past year. And inevitably one of the impressions I have is, wow, a lot of really – important seminal people die every year. Um, and, and and occasionally somebody dies pretty close to the Oscars. Heath Ledger died, I think, January 22nd uh, a couple of years ago and then won an Oscar, um, which gave everybody a chance to talk about him, which usually is not what happens. Usually there's kind of real roles. I don't think I can remember a year when the equivalent of Philip Seymour Hoffman, probably the greatest actor of Generation X, of his generation, uh, died. Shirley Temple, maybe the most popular <laughs> film performer who ever lived for a brief period of time, uh, has died. And then Harold Ramis, who maybe not quite a, a, as titanic a figure, but a guy who really kind of symbolizes what film comedies became for about 10 or 15 years, uh, died very, very close to the Academy Awards. And I kind of wonder how they how could they deal with that? I mean, I, it's going to be very unsatisfying to me if I just watch them all go flying by in one of those reels that they do. But that's what they're going to do. Right. If you're the producer, yeah. it would be hard to figure out who you would end on. Right. Well, I, I think that actually you could probably, if they took it seriously enough that, say, the first 45 minutes or an hour of the broadcast, they actually took sort of 10-minute long segments to pay attention to these people at greater length than just, you know, sort of playing some music with a couple of scenes because I think they are significant people. I mean, this isn't the first year, of course, but, I mean, somebody like, like for instance, uh, for people to hear that, oh, Shirley Temple died, for example, that they think, oh, you know, they remember sort of the image kind of thing. But Shirley Temple was extraordinary in the development of popular culture and the, the what she did at the time and mm -hmm. what she represented. And um, I think that, that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is somebody that, I mean, I think many of the audience have probably seen him or heard of him in films they haven't seen. You know, that, that they were films that they heard about these performances that were really great, but the films were not massive hits that everybody saw. And this would be a chance to really explore his career. I think then you could, you, you know, you'd give some weight to the Academy mm -hmm. Awards show, I think. That's well, what I we'd like to... I'm sorry, that's I cut what, you off. 
That's what we'd like it to be. But the producer is there saying, are we going to give this time to these legends? Or are we going to bring out latest It Girl in her amazing dress? So I... Well, also as a viewer, and it's it's not it's not to kind of disparage people in the work that they've done because you do want to see it, but I think it becomes something else when it's kind of throughout the show. Mm-hmm. At least for me, I would know as a viewer, it's something about seeing them all together because there's always a couple of people you're like, oh my god, that's right, they died, and so having just it gives you that moment, and then they go to commercial, and then you can kind of like pick yourself up off the floor and mm-hmm. then come back and then it's the rest of the show. I think it takes it to a different place. Yeah. Uh, my guess, I don't know, maybe I think Shirley Temple might be last. On but you've also got yeah. Peter O'Toole, uh, oh, not an insignificant right. figure in the oh, world right. of film. Right. Roger Ebert, uh, not an insignificant figure in the modern absorption of film. Mm-hmm. Um, and James Gandolfini, it's the guy cut way, way short. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think that it's really very difficult to – I'm sure the producers are thinking of sort of entertainment values, you know, right. and not sort of uh, spending too long. Right. It's a party. They don't yeah, want you know. Yeah. That's the basic <laughs> like, thing. It's a, it's a kind of commercial party, so mm-hmm. you have to accept that. But – um, I think that sometimes there may be somebody who speaks who actually can say something significant in a short number of words. They can actually uh, say something about somebody like Philip Seymour Hoffman that actually gets to the essence of it. So I think it is possible to do. Yeah, um, and I think – oh, sorry. I'm no, you go, ahead, go ahead. No, I think I'm sure that there will probably be a few actors there who might win who probably will mention him. I would, uh, my I guess. would think so, My guess yes, would be exactly. that he would be mentioned a couple of times I think throughout the show. Yeah, right. yeah yes. people may dedicate their awards to him or whatever. Right, exactly. Um, there's also you know, this huge question about – there's actually some sort of weird chronological cutoff point after which you can't make the reel and that Harold Ramis may, not, may be on the other side of that cutoff point. There's also a petition uh, being circulated right now. Bill Sensio's tweeting me about this right now that uh, a woman named Sarah Jones who died uh, last week while filming a movie in South Georgia, um, there's people trying to get her added to that reel because once again she might not have made the deadline. Um, so there's – I mean it's – I don't know. It must be my Irish take on the Oscars that this is really what I want to focus on. (laughs) (laughs) The obituaries, basically. We call them the Irish sports pages for a reason. (laughs) So let's take a quick break here. We'll have that way. We'll have a little bit extra time to endorse. And maybe over the course of endorsing, we can uh, bring up a few other, you know, cinematic gems that uh, are worth talking about. Filling out our office Oscar pool, what will Bill Murray's blood alcohol level be when he presents an award for the first time this year? God, I am so bad at these. Does anybody have a guess? Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me. Our intern, Piper Magnoli, appeared in the intro. It's Skylar. Katie Tolarski is our executive producer. The part of Bill Curry was played by Crispin Glover. For show pages, articles, and photos of the Faith Middleton Show staff at last year's Olive Garden After Party, visit our website, WNPR.org. On Monday, the scramble tackles the best and worst of the weekend. And now, back to Colin. All right, now time for endorsements. And I'm leaving a little extra time for endorsements because it will allow us to say some things that we didn't manage to say uh, as we sort of uh, loped through the Oscars. Uh, But, uh, James, I'll let you start out. Um, Well, actually, going back to 12 Years a Slave, um, I was particularly stung reading um, Richard Brody's column in The New Yorker recently where he said that 
well, yes, 12 Years a Slave was going to win Best Picture, and uh, it, but it was really a film that directed itself, you know, and the director just got out of the way, which I thought was grossly unfair and completely wrong. Um, and uh, it really is something that I think that Steve McQueen represents a different kind of filmmaking in the sense that he was willing to take on, and he's done this in his other films, he's willing to take on difficult things, difficult subjects, things that are not immediately apparent what they mean and linger on them and actually have you focus on what's going on. And that's what I meant when I got to the uh, – when I originally was talking about how 12 Years a Slave makes you face the criminality of what it is to own other human beings and how people behave under those circumstances. Um, but it, it, it's, a, it's a great uh, – I, I mean best director to me would be well-deserved in, in that case. But linked to that in terms of an endorsement, I picked up the original uh, book, uh, Solomon Northup's uh, account, Mm. 12 Years a Slave, which I would recommend incredibly highly to anybody to read that. You see how extraordinarily detailed an observation he made of an an absolutely harrowing, horrible experience. He writes in such an eloquent way about the experience and you can see how it plays out in the movie. But what is fascinating about it is that many of his reflections are even more detailed than in the movie. It's a really extraordinary thing to read uh, as source material, but just in itself a really riveting account that um, I, I'm surprised the book has been so obscure, really yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, I, I read a bunch of it while, while um, writing about it and I, I share – that um, I read today that there is now going to be a scholastic re- reissue of it, a new scholastic yes, version yeah. of it being reissued and made available to schools, um, uh, which I think is sort of a good thing because one of the things – I think McQueen or somebody like that said in, in the interviews, one of his regrets is that people don't really know this book at all. And he's exactly. amazed that people don't yes. know this book. Yes. So the book's going to get out there and uh, people will read it. Great endorsement. Yeah. What are you going to do? I would like to endorse the soundtrack to the movie Her, but it apparently is not available. Hmm. And maybe at some point I heard a cynic saying, oh, they're trying to build up, you know, interest and excitement and then it will be available. But I thought the music in that movie was absolutely beautiful and haunting. One of the songs is is up for for best song. The Moon Song. The Moon Song. Um, Though I prefer the song Happy by Pharrell Williams. That would be my pick. Which is not going to win. Let It Go is going to win. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, Let It Go is taking over the world, basically. Right. You're There's right. no way yeah. that they can yeah. make it. You know, That's right. Every 13-year-old girl knows to how to sing it backwards right. at this point. My money's still unhappy. But um, I, I will endorse a band that Colin actually uh, introduced me to, which is Lake Street Dive. And we've been listening together to them you can they have a new album coming out they're just terrific and and, and the film tie into that would be that uh, thank show, you because I yeah. was searching for a film tie well Showtime did a documentary sort of a documentary of a concert called right. Another Day Another Time uh, which was sort of a tribute to the music of Inside Lewin Davis and Lake Street right. Dive was, it was impossible to steal the show there were so many incredible performers uh, in this documentary which if you can get it on Showtime or find it some other way it is amazing uh, but Lake Street Dive to the extent that you could stop people in their tracks in that storied company they did a, a pretty good job Thank you. Vivian, what do you got? Okay. Well, I'll I'll cheat and just do two. So um, right now I'm going to take a page from the Jacques Lamar School of Blatant (laughs) Self-Promotion and just endorse uh, my new endeavor. I have a small little company called – it's an online business called omusono.com, O-M-U-S-O-N-O. And you can get accessories and jewelry and all these fun things. And I go live this weekend. So 
There you go. Ooh. Wow. Yes, but the one thing I do want to um, endorse that is Oscar-related is Lupita. I know I said it before, mm. but I'm Team Lupita. Well, if you mm. uh, if you spend more time with Vivian Nibetta, you'd want to look like her. So uh, I would think maybe Omusono would be a good place to go to get that process started. I mean, it's not going to happen, but it's sort of, you know, <laughs> but you, you could try. All right. Well, I quickly want to, and I know Doobie wants to join me with this, uh, join in this with me, want to endorse uh, going to the Red Carpet Experience, and you can, I'll make sure you get to the thing about the Kate, too, but the Red Carpet Experience, uh, this is a party that under other, other names, Peter Shapiro and I started either 15 or 20 years ago. We can't remember anymore. <laughs> it's been a really long time, and we actually did our first few uh, editions of it in Trinity Cine Studio, uh, and then we've moved it out into the world, and it's been taken over by uh, a wonderful organization since then. We, we did it as, from the year one, we did it as uh, a benefit for AIDS shelters. There was no overarching organization at the time, but there is now. And so it's now called the Red Carpet Experience. Uh, it's going to be at Spotlight Theaters, uh, the beautiful new Spotlight Theaters down by Front Street this year. Uh, there's food, there's drink, there's um, all kinds of stuff, and the telecast will be shown inside one of the you know, swankily appointed new uh, spotlight uh, <laughs> theater things. Uh, parking, I know this is such a concern to people. <laughs> parking is free. We've got free parking for you in the Front Street garages. So you just go up, uh, go west on our street, take a right uh, into the sort of uh, sort of backside of the Front Street area, and there's th- that garage there. You can self-park for free, and I think there'll be a valet parking that'll be free except for a tip or something like that. And so anyway, it's um, and tickets are $50 a person. You can go to the... That starts at 7, that whole night. People dress up in costumes and for movies, or do they just wear outrageous uh, attire or formal attire? Uh, and uh, VIP admission is $100. That means you get to go to a, another thing that's at 6 o'clock with even you know more exciting food. The food's always really good at this thing, though. So... Um, you know, it's a really great thing, and it does go to support uh, the primary uh, agency that, that helps uh, fight and deal with the consequ- consequences of AIDS. So it's an important thing to do. So get your tickets, or you can, you can buy them there, I guess, but you might have to wait in line or something. Oh, so the online ticket sales uh, close off at 7 p.m., I think, or you know, 8 p.m. on Saturday night. Uh, I will post a link on our website at wnpr.org to show you how to buy those tickets, but don't miss them. And I know, Kate, there's another uh, – there, there's another thing at the Kate. Right. Also Sunday night. Uh, the Catherine Hepburn Cultural Arts Center is having an Oscar night, and it is co-hosted by Ann Nyberg of Channel 8 and Kristen Roberts of Comcast. Come in costume. They would love that. If you Google the Kate, um, you'll be able to get tickets. But that's also a good shoreline option for those of you who want to go out on Oscar night. Last thing, really, really quickly. See the great beauty. I saw it at James's Theater. It's at Real Artways this weekend. It's out of the Bantam Cinemas, too. It's going to win the Best Picture for Best Foreign Film. I'm Kyone Wolf, and no matter who wins at the Academy Awards on Sunday night, we all know who the real winner is. Quentin Tarantino's Coke dealer. <laughs>